Awesome. Awesome. Well, hey, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really glad you guys are here at Catalyst Christian Church today, coming off an amazing, exhausting, incredible week of VBS. And again, like, I, I, like JK said, thank you for everybody that volunteered, thank you for bringing your kids, and especially thanks to Jenny and first husband Paul, uh, Catalyst first husband Paul, uh, for all of his work here. Uh, just absolutely fantastic. If you guys uh, see Jenny and Paul, just tell them uh, what a great job they did. I think they're on vacation. I think they got out of town, didn't they? They got out of town on vacation. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Well, um, guys, we're finishing up our series called One Thing Today. If you're visiting with us, either on, on in person or online, um, we're in a series called One Thing, uh, seven times through the Bible, where we see the phrase one thing. And uh, today we're talking about one thing to remember. If you guys will turn to 2 Peter uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, we're going to be there and some other places as well. But um, this, is a, this is a very, very important mess. I'm glad you guys are here. And we're just going to jump right in. 2 Peter 3, 8 through 9 says this, But do not forget this one thing, one thing, dear friends. With the, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. And a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So I have a, a word for you guys to, rem to, to, to say with me, to focus on. It's the word remember. Everybody say remember. Remember. All right. I want to take you guys one of the saddest and yet most alarming episodes in the Bible. Um, it is uh, a time when the king of Israel needed God to show up, and it just appeared that God had just left him out to dry, hung him out to dry. Here in 1 Samuel 13, 5-14, the, the king Saul, all right? We pick him up right here. The Philistines assembled to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. Anyone been to a, to a beach? There's a lot of sand. There's a lot of soldiers, okay, big army. And back then, armies weren't as kind as they are now. They, they, uh, when, when, when they overran a country, they didn't stop with the soldiers. They overran the wives, the children. They overran everything. Just let your mind go there. So there's a big problem going on here. Okay, they went up and camped at Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. When the Israelites saw their situation was critical, their army was hard-pressed. They hid in caves and thickets among the rocks in pits and cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul, remained at Gil Saul was the king, remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal. Samuel was a prophet who was going to be there to bless the armies and send them into victory, but he wasn't showing up, okay? Um, when, and, and when he didn't come to, to Gilgal, Saul's men began to scatter. So he's in charge of the army, and he's seen his men deserting because they're afraid. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw the men were scattering, and you did not come at the set time, and the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would establish your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Okay, so this, what does this have to do with us? Well, I'll tell you. The stress of God, are you there? 
leads us to do foolish actions. Okay? The first thing, we do three things when we don't think God is showing up, when we're hard-pressed, like Saul was, when we're facing difficulties in life, and, and it doesn't seem like God's doing anything. There are three things that we do that are wrong. We see them in King Saul. The first thing we do is we look to our immediate circumstances, not to God and his promises. We focus on the army in front of us instead of the God behind us. When you're hard-pressed and you're in constant prayer, constantly seeking God, and you get nothing, God is silent your business is going under. You're losing customers. You're having supply problems. You're having theft problems. You can't find the right, right, right employees. Your customers are dissatisfied. You're getting zeros on your Yelp review. And you're like, God, are you going to do anything? I'm praying. And God is silent. Or you're, you're single and, and you see all of your people, all your friends getting married, moving on with their families. You really want that. And, and God has not sent you the right person. And look to our immediate circumstances, not God. And his promises, the, the, the strong temptation is to focus on the army in front of you and forget that there's a God behind you. And right then, Satan is in your ear whispering, see, God has hung so many people out to dry, you're no different. He's just going to let you fall and he's going to laugh while you go down. You see the bills, you see the workplace struggles, you see the drying up of everything, you see the empty seats in church. You see, and, and all that, that's what all Saul, Saul saw. He saw the Philistine army, saw that his army starting to desert. He was patient until he wasn't. And that was Saul's first mistake. Where should he have been looking? He should have been looking to God and his promises. So my question is, where do you look when you're hard-pressed? People of Catalyst, where do you look when life is not working out? When life's falling apart, where, where things aren't going like you thought, and, and, and you're praying, you've thrown up a prayer to God, and he's done nothing in response. Week after week after week, who do you look to? See, Saul looked at the immediate circumstances, not God and his promises. That led him to foolish action number two. It's no foolish action number two. Take matter into our own hands with disastrous results. Okay, he offered the sacrifice. Now, this doesn't matter much to us because, because, of, the, because of the resurrection and the, uh, the, when Jesus was resurrected, the temple uh, curtain was torn and we had full access to God anytime. You guys know that your prayers are heard the same as mine. There is no red phone in my desk with a direct line to God. You guys know that, right? Okay, you have as much access to God as anyone. But back then they didn't have that. So there's only, only the priests and God's chosen people could lead a worship service, could, could make the sacrifice. And instead of waiting, instead of waiting, Saul went and did what was not his to do. It's kind of like he thought God was a genie. He had to rub the lamp for God to do something. Showed his relationship with God. Saul looked at God more as a good luck charm than anything else. And uh, remember, guys, in this situation, there are two things. There's God's will and there's God's way, and neither can be messed with. You have to do God's will, God's way. Was it God's will for a sacrifice to be offered? Absolutely, but it was only Samuel that could do it. And so Saul took matters into his own hands with disastrous results. I, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine who informed me that uh, he was moving to another city. And I said, well, why are you doing that? And he said, well, I've met a girl. And I said, okay. I, and I said, uh, I said you're, and you're moving to where she lives? He goes, yeah, I sure am. And being the pastor, I had to ask, so are you going to be moving in with her? He goes, yep. And I said, you know that that is not God's will, nor is it God's way. And he looked at me and he said, well, it's better than being alone. And I thought, King Saul, 
He's going to help God out. He's not patient. He's been praying. And he's not waiting on God's time. He's just looking at circumstances, and now he's going to take matters in his own hands and do something incredibly foolish. Well, a few months later, he was back. He was hurt. He was defeated. Turns out she was physically abusive, emotionally abusive, verbally abusive. She was unstable emotionally. And he came back bruised and beaten. And he learned the third thing that Saul learned. And this is it. That we can permanently destroy what God has been building through us. So Saul was God's anointed ruler. He was the king. He was God's chosen man to lead. Okay, And in one instance, one instance, one time of weakness, one time of doubt, one time of losing his faith, he lost his entire kingdom, lost his entire lineage. All right, And it was given to his successor, King David. You say, well, that's not really fair, is it? I mean, one time, is that all it takes, God? Is that all you give us is one chance? That's not really fair, is it? Well, how many of us have destroyed in one moment everything we spent our lives building? You guys know that that's reality. One lie, one professional lie destroyed your entire career. One fling with a coworker destroyed your marriage of 25 or 30 years. One time drinking and driving and you've killed someone and your life is never the same. You can destroy in one instant everything you spent your lifetime building as Saul discovered that day by feeling hard-pressed, by looking at the immediate circumstances, by taking matters to our own hands and learning that hard lesson. All because Saul did not remember. Everyone say, remember. He did not remember. He didn't remember the promises of God. He didn't remember the faithfulness of God. He did not remember the love of God. How quickly he completely forgot everything that God had ever done for him in his life. And we're going to join him, church, in those actions unless some serious changes in our lives are made. Do you know what troubles me the most about this passage of Scripture? Is how incredibly logical it seems. How completely normal Saul's actions seem to me. I mean, man, the things that Saul was facing as a leader, he'd waited seven days. He'd waited seven days. He'd done what he was supposed to do. He'd been faithful. He didn't, he didn't waver. He'd waited seven days. And he sees the army. He doesn't see God doing anything. And all of a sudden, his men that he's supposed to lead and inspire are losing faith in him. And they're leaving. And fewer and fewer are there behind him. And that is a terrible situation to be in when you're a leader. And you just feel hung out to dry. You're not hearing anything from God. It is so tempting to take matters into your own hands. We do it every day. That's what bothers me is how normal his actions seem. Yet look at the consequences. Okay, Lord, may you protect us all from forgetting. See, guys, God's answers arrive in God's time, not ours. And you can either learn that the hard way, like Saul did, or you can learn it the easy way, sitting here. I've always heard the phrase, God is rarely early, but he's never late. And I found that to be 100% true. See, Samuel arrived at the appointed time. Five minutes after Saul offered the sacrifice. That is so typical. How many of us 
have waited and waited, and we quit on the one-yard line. We're about to score a touchdown, and we quit. We take matters to our own hands. Instead of staying faithful, instead of staying faithful and experiencing the breakthrough, we quit. We do things the wrong way, and, and, and I mean, had Saul waited five more minutes, five more minutes is all it took. Man, don't quit on the yard, one-yard line, people. Stay faithful, because God will keep every one of his promises. His patience is not negligence. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, the prophet Habakkuk, everybody say Habakkuk. Yeah, don't name your kid Habakkuk, okay? Don't do, don't do that. The prophet Habakkuk, he's mad at God. He's, he looks around at the nation of Israel, he sees nothing but decadence, nothing but immorality, nothing but faithlessness in his, he's, he's trying to preach, he's trying to win, win the hearts of the Israelites, and he's getting nowhere. His church is empty, even the people that he reached are gone, and, and he is just railing at God, he's like, you're not doing anything, this nation has turned its back on you, we are not faithful to you, we are such an immoral, faithless people, and you don't care, God. I've had those kind of prayers. I know exactly what he was feeling. He goes straight to God and tells him how upset he is with his countrymen, how they don't honor God. Like I said, he's trying to preach and he's getting nowhere. And he accuses God of not doing anything. And God looks at him and says, hey, Hab, time. He goes, don't mistake my patience for negligence. I got, I'm going to take care of this. Habakkuk says, good. Thank goodness, God, you're going to take care of this. What are you going to do? And God says, hey, right now I'm raising up a nation called the Babylonians. They're my chosen nation to judge Israel. They're, what they're going to do, they're going to roll in here and they're going to steamroll your country. They're going to completely destroy your army. They're going to sack Jerusalem. They're going to kill everybody. They're going to cart everyone else off into exile. Don't worry, I'm taking care of it. Habakkuk's like, I didn't say to do that. See, Habakkuk, 2, 1 through 3, so back after God tells him this, he says this, I will stand my watch to save myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me, what answer I am to give to this, I am to give to this complaint. The Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and not delay. That is what he's saying. My judgment is coming. Though it linger, wait for it because it's going to be here. I'm keeping my promise. See, for those of you that are as distressed as I am over the state of our country, state of our nation, state of our families, state of our schools, state of our, our, our government, those of you guys that are just as distressed as I am, you don't see the Lord doing anything about it. We see corruption in government. We see agendas for our children, lying to them and telling them they can create their own genders. Millions of dollars being made by doctors, medical clinics, medically transitioning kids as, as, as young as 12 years old. Child sex trafficking, like that movie that was just shown, uh, Sound of Freedom. Uh, every kind of perversion, rebellion against God being shown as good all over social media and Hollywood and Madison Avenue. Now, those of you that are just as distressed as I am, God says, I'll take care of it. He looks at us and he says, do you think for one second that humanity can get away with what it's doing? You can't thumb your nose at God, people, and think that we won't be judged. See, God will keep every one of his promises, not just the ones that we like, okay? See, it could be that God is raising up a nation for us like he raised up Babylon for Israel. And will come and do to us what Babylon did to Israel so many years ago. 
If you want play-by-play, read the book of Lamentations, y'all. It isn't pretty. Remember that God keeps all his promises, not just the ones we like. He keeps his promises of faithfulness to his people and the promise to judge evil as well. He keeps his promise of eternal life to all who follow him and are baptized and, and call him Lord and Savior and the promise to those who are under judgment will spend eternity in hell. He keeps that promise too. He keeps all his promises. The question isn't, will God keep his promises? Scripture says the reason he hasn't judged us yet is not because he's negligent, because he is not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. He's delaying judgment to give people time to repent and be saved. But don't make no mistake, he will not delay that forever. God will keep every single one of his promises, his patience and not negligence. But until he returns or until we die, We live in a fallen world, and many times it will feel like God has hung us out to dry, forsaken us. I want here to tell you that's okay. That's part of the deal. That's part of life. It's not unusual for you to feel that way. Even God's most faithful people have felt extreme distance from God and questioned where he is. Even the people that we look up to as examples. It's not unusual, but when that happens, you can either be like Saul and forget and take matters into your own hands. Or you can do the opposite. You can focus on God's word. You can remember. So guys, here are four scriptures. I want to give you four scriptures. When you feel like God has hung you out to dry, when he's not doing things that you want him to do, when, he's not, when he, it seems like he's silent and you're facing an army, here are four scriptures that I always go to to remind me, to help me remember. The first one, it says, Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. I love that, that he goes before us. So everything you're going to face, God is facing before you. He's running point. He's the point man. He's in front of you. And so every insult that comes your way, he's heard it first. Every problem, he's seen it first. Every issue, he's seen it first. He is in front of you. He goes before you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. So do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. And my second one is this, is Hebrews 13, 5. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now why would he say, keep your lives free, the love of money, be content with what you have? This is why. Because sometimes when God delays, when he is silent, he's teaching you something. He's teaching you that you never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. He's teaching you to depend on him. He's teaching you to be satisfied. If, if, if I don't get rich, if I, if, if, if I never get another customer, if I never get another convert, if I never get another whatever, if you never send me anything else, God, I will be content because you are enough. My soul is satisfied. You only learn that when you feel forsaken and when God is silent. So guys, remember, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The third one is Joshua 23, 14. Joshua was an old man. He was Moses' successor. He was the one that led the nation of Israel into the promised land. And he's looking back. He's about to die, looking back on a life of maybe 80, 85, 90 years. And he says this on his deathbed. He says this, now I'm about to go the way of the earth. You know, with all your heart and all your soul, that not one of the good promises the Lord your God has gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. He's sitting back there looking at a lifetime of struggle, conflict, and he realizes one thing, that everything God said to him came true. Everything. And God has done that for Joshua. He will do that for you too. Everything he says, he does. 
And the fourth one is this, Psalm 62, 11 through 12. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard, that you, O God, are strong and you, O God, are loving. When you feel forsaken, when you feel hung out to dry, when you're considering taking matters into your own hands, doing something stupid, doing something against the will of God and against God's ways, just remember two things, that God is strong and God is loving. When I can't see you, when I'm feeling abandoned, I remember you're strong and you're loving and you will do everything you said you will do. I just want to encourage you with that. Don't let the world tell you where hope is, you all. Look only to the scriptures and the word of God. I've got two questions for us today. Two questions. First one is this. Will you believe the truth? Will you believe the truth? That's, 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 that, that God will keep every promise he has made. Do, will you believe that truth? And the second question is this. Will you live like you believe the truth? Will your actions this week show that you believe that truth, that God will keep every one of his promises, that he will do everything he says? His church, will his church do what he said, live like they believe that truth? See, guys, here's one thing to remember. Be prepared. Be prepared. Because the, 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 the Bible tells us that Jesus is returning. That's the only prophecy that has not been fulfilled. He said he would return. Okay? He's fulfilled every other. There's 400-something prophecies Jesus fulfilled. The only one he hasn't is that he will return. So he's 399 out of 400. If someone's 399 out of 400, is it probably that 400 will come true too? Probably. Very consistent. Build up a good track record. So be prepared. Let us live like God's promises are real to us. Let's live like we believe that, that God will do everything he promised. And while, when life is falling apart, you all, let's remember, there are three rules to life. When you're in this, when you're in this waiting period, when you're in this God is silent phase, when you, ha- you can't see him, you can't, you're get, not getting answers and life is stressing, remember the three rules of life. First one is this, you keep showing up. You don't abandon, you don't quit. You keep showing up. You keep showing up to work. You keep showing up to church. You keep showing up in your marriage. You keep showing up with your kids. You keep showing up. No matter what is going on, you keep showing up. Second thing, you keep doing what is right. That's the second rule of life. Keep showing up, then you keep doing what is right. You don't go and do things that are wrong simply because you're not getting the answers that you want. You keep showing up with your family, keep showing up at work, you keep doing what is right, regardless of results. And the third thing is this, then you sit back and watch what God does in response. That's what you do when you can't see God, when you can't feel God, when you feel hung out to dry, you keep showing up, you keep doing what is right, and you, and you watch what God does in response. If Christians would simply do that, we would be in amazing shape because God keeps every one of his promises. So here's the truth, you all. When D.C., when Washington, D.C. continues to lose its ever-loving mind, we go to the truth. When, when your boss is driving you insane, you keep going to the truth. You keep remembering. When your spouse is driving you up the wall and has lost all sense of reality and you can't say amen because they're sitting right next to you thinking the same thing about you, Okay, you keep going to the truth. If for some reason we're to hear about COVID-23 or COVID-24, we keep going to the truth. We remember. Everyone say remember. Remember. We remember that God will keep every one of his promises. Now I've heard it said that the gospel contains some hard truths. That's not true. 
The truth is just the truth. Whether the truth is hard or not depends on your heart. There is no hard truth, only hard hearts. So if you don't like hearing what the gospel has to say, the problem isn't the truth. The problem is your hard heart. So my question is this. During this time, before the return of Jesus, during this time where things seem like going haywire, will you believe the truth? If not, it's not because the truth is hard. It's because your heart is hard, and you need to go to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, I've got a hard heart, and I'm not listening. I don't like the gospel. I don't like what I'm hearing. I don't like the stuff. You're going to you have to change my heart so I can actually understand the truth, that you love me and that you want me to be saved. You want me to come to repentance because you love me. You don't want anyone going to hell but you want everyone to be saved and come to repentance. But Lord, I'm, I'm not sure where I am. So you got to change my heart, Lord, so I can listen to the truth. There are no hard truths, only hard hearts. Okay? So the question is, as you go out this door, will you remember? Or will your heart be so hard like Saul that the second things don't go your way, you're looking at your circumstances. You're looking at the army in front of you instead of the God behind you. You're going to take matters into your own hands because your faith is that small and you have a hard heart. My prayer for every one of you guys is today that you, that you allow the Lord to soften your heart, to remember and to believe that the promises of God, that he will, he will do everything he said he would do. I'm not as old as Joshua was. I'm 49. But I can tell you without fail, that in my life, looking back, I can say with certainty that God has done everything he said he would do. I can testify. I'm a, I'm a testimony to that right now. Um, when I was talking with Ravi this past, how many of y'all enjoyed hearing Ravi preach? Yeah, it was fantastic, wasn't it? Um, he, uh, he really challenges me. And he was talking about God being faithful. He's, he's taking a, a mission trip to a, a state that is very, very hostile to the faith. It's called Manipur. And he was actually supposed to go preach there, but he received word from the pastor who invited him, don't, don't come here because the pastor had just been beaten up by a mob. And that's what's going on where he's going. When he's about to go there, He's about, to, he's about to go there uh, when he gets back to, to India. He's going to go start another mission trip there. And I said, Robbie, is there you know, some security that you can hire? Can you use some of this VBS money we raised for you to? And, and he goes, no, 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 no. God will protect. And I said, well, how can you say that? He said, well, let me tell you what happened just last week. He goes, I was preaching in this area. By the way, he's crazy. Y'all know that, right? I mean, he's crazy. He actually believes God will do what he says he's going to do. I mean, what kind of, you know, it, it's amazing. But he, he, was, he stood up to speak, and a communist militia came to town. Communist militia there is fighting the government, trying to overthrow the Indian government. There's a kind of a civil war going on in the tribal areas. And he's, he's, as he stood up to preach, the communist militia came in with their, with their AK-47s, and, and the, the, the leader said, uh, um, said I, you, no speaking. No speaky. You will not say because what you have to say is bad. We don't like what you have to say. You, you, you know, if you start speaking, we will kill you, beat you up. And Ravi said, well, how, how can you know that my teaching is, is bad? I haven't even started speaking yet. And the guy said, well, no, no, you, you will not speak. He held, held up his gun. 
And Robbie said, I, please, I've come a long way. Please let me speak. And if I say anything that's bad, you can kill me. You can beat me up, whatever you want. And the guy goes, okay. And he motioned to two of his guards, and they went and stood on either side of him. Guns. And so Robbie says, okay, Lord, what do I do? What do I say? And he said there was a mango right on the stage. Someone had brought a mango as an offering. And he looked at the communist leader, and he picked up the mango and said, can you catch this? And the communist leader said, so, so he threw it to him, caught it. And Ravi said, here, start eating it. This mango's for you. Start eating it. And, the, and it started eating it. And he goes, you eat it, and I will tell you what it tastes like. And the, the communist leader said, how can you do that? I'm the one eating it. You don't know what it tastes like. He goes, no, no, no. You, eat, you eat it, and I will tell you what it tastes like. And the guy says, this is, this is stupid. This is, this is not making any sense. I'm eating the mango. How can you tell me what it looks like? And he threw it away. And Ravi says this. He said, that's the same thing. See, you say that my teaching is not good, but you've never tasted. He goes, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You don't know the Lord. So you can't tell me my teaching is bad because you've never tasted. And he said, I, I want to tell you about the love of God that I have tasted and seen, you have not tasted yet. And the whole place was silent. And then Ravi preached the gospel to these people, to these lost people. And it, when he was done, he, as he was about to leave, the, the, the militia surrounded his motorcycle and said, we're not going to let you leave. And Ravi said, well, why? Did I say something wrong? Did I say something bad? He goes, no, no. He said, unless you promise to come back here every week and teach us, we're going to keep you here. You will be our prisoner because we want to hear more. And Ravi said, I'm a very busy man. I have so much ministry to do, but I, every two months I will come back. And, the, and the, the, the communist militia who are atheists and heard for the first time about love, the love of God, he said, okay, two months, every two months you will come back and you will teach us because we want to hear more about Jesus. See, without Ravi believing that God would do what he said he would do, he would have not spoken. He would have just left because he would have taken matters into his own hands. He knew that God wanted him to preach to those people. And so he did God's will, God's way. And that is the, that is the inspiration we find from people like Ravi. He does things God's will, God's way. He believes that God will do everything he promised. And it therefore accomplishes so much. So here, here's the question. Will you believe God's will, God's way? Will you believe that God will do what he promised? When a person that believes that is capable of powerful things in this world. The person that acts like Saul and takes matters into his own hands, spells nothing but disaster. So Catalyst Christian Church, throw the mango. Tell, tell the people what God wants you to tell them. Have courage. Believe the promises of God. His patience is not negligence. God bless you. I hope you have a great week. See you next Sunday. Bye-bye.